finding it hard to be vegetarian when you've got IBS. It can be really challenging to change your diet at any time, but it's especially hard when most of your major protein-containing foods are the mega bloat IBS foods. So this is exactly what I'm going to cover in this episode of The Inside Knowledge. You'll learn which kind of vegetarian protein foods are less likely to make you bloat, how to actually calculate how much protein you need, I'm going to talk about how to manage the low FODMAP diet as a vegetarian and what's the deal with protein powders? Do you need them? You'll also hear how to download my fake meat vegetarian review at the end. Hello, welcome to episode eight of the Inside Knowledge for People with IBS. Today I'm going to give you a little overview of protein and specifically talk about vegetarian protein. I'll also mention vegan proteins as well specifically, but I will include in here as well some references to eggs and dairy. So you've got the full lowdown on non-meat containing protein foods. Proteins are a chain of lots of small units called amino acids, and these are all linked together. There's about 20 different amino acids which we find in our foods and are used in the body, but some of them are essential that we have to get from food, and some of them our body can create in order to make things like our skin, our bones, our nails, hair, but also protein is involved in digestive enzyme production, in hormone production, and also can help to regulate energy. So it is a really important part of our diet. We find protein in animal products, of course, things like meat and fish, dairy and eggs, plant-based sources, including things like quinoa, tofu, beans, pulses, nuts, and seeds. Plant-based sources of protein tend not to have all the amino acids present. So those essential amino acids that we need to get from food, meat and fish and dairy often have all the essential amino acids. And these is what's known as a complete protein. And it's a higher quality of protein in terms of the amount of protein per grams of the food. Plant-based sources will consume some of these, which is another reason why we really need to focus on diet diversity and trying to eat a broad range of different products and vegetables and fruits and everything to make sure that you are hitting all of those different protein requirements because if you're not it's easy to miss out on some of those key essential amino acids that can only be derived from food. But how do you know how much of this protein to eat and whether you are getting enough? Well, there are some calculations that you can use based on the size of your body. And I'm going to share with you a little bit of nuance into that as well. The normal maintenance dose for protein is based on 0.8 grams of protein per day for every kilo of body weight that you have. If you're more active and you're really working out a lot of the gym, some protein requirement research has shown that having one and a half grams of protein for every kilo of body weight is an ideal amount. This can be quite excessive when you have a bigger body and I will go through a few examples to show you what I mean. So for example, if you're 60 kilograms, which is nine stone six, which for those in the US listening is around 132 pounds, 
you would need to eat somewhere between 48 grams, that would be your maintenance dose, or going up to about 90 grams of protein per day if you are extremely active or if you are working on a kind of heavy protein, light carb and trying to lose weight. If you're in a body that's around 11 stone, which is 70 kilos, which may, might be around 154 pounds, you would need somewhere between 56 grams of protein per day and 100 grams of protein per day. This is probably doable if you're eating meat, but is extremely challenging on a vegetarian diet. And so what we'll just want to make sure that we're looking at is how to hit your minimum maintenance dose, because for me, that is the baseline, that is the essential, that it's a maintenance dose to stop your muscle wastage, to make sure that you've got enough energy and enough key amino acids to help stay healthy hair, healthy nails, healthy skin, and just feeling good. So we wanna make sure you're hitting that bottom range as a minimum. The top range, I think, is probably something for a discussion with someone who really understands a bit more about your particular health goals, your situation, etc. Now, if you're in a bigger body that has a larger amount of body fat, this calculation, especially using the top range, could lead you to be eating an unrealistic amount of protein per day when you're looking at the upper range. The calculation is based on your lean body mass. So you need to take a little bit of a reduction down to make sure that you are not eating, you know, 200 grams of protein because it's just not sustainable. It's extremely expensive and you would just be eating protein all day long. So what we want to do is just try to make an estimate based on your fat mass and if you don't know how much body fat you've got you could just take off around 20 to 30 maybe 40 percent of this figure in order to hit your target so let me give you some examples here as well so imagine that your body is around 96 kilos which equates to 15 stone roughly which is around 212 pounds in this calculation you would need between 76 grams and 144 grams of protein per day, which you can imagine is a huge amount of protein. But if we reduce that by a percentage of fat and just base it on your lean body mass, then we can calculate, so say you're taking off 30%, you go from 76 grams to 53 grams. Now I might put some of these calculations in the show notes to better explain it. So if you want to have a look at the show notes and you'll just see this written out, it might help you to see it. I guess my main point is that we need to think about a minimum intake of protein of around 50 grams per day and more if you're in a bigger body okay so the bigger size you are you're going to need a bigger amount of protein but there's a limit to that at some point so the basis of this calculation is from your fat free mass which includes your muscles your organs your bones like everything else that's not fat in your body and that's a more accurate way to do this calculation otherwise people in a bigger body can end up with a really unrealistic amount of protein just using this calculation and I think that's where it sometimes gets a bit misunderstood when you see these calculations on the internet and you end up eating much more protein than you actually would need.
I'll come on to a few vegan sources of protein in a moment, but I just wanted to mention a few things around dairy and also eggs. Eggs are generally not going to bloat you as much, although for some people with IBS it really depends on your triggers, um, but some people are sensitive to sulfur compounds in our food, and particularly if you find you've got really sulfury smelling gas, eggs could be a bit of a trigger for that. But if you are sensitive to FODMAPs, which is the fermentable carbohydrates, like the fibres in vegetables, then eggs is probably going to be okay for you. Eggs contain somewhere between four to six grams of protein. So you can eat two to three eggs in one sitting, absolutely fine. I know there was some concern about not eating too many eggs in a week because of cholesterol levels. If you're on a vegetarian diet and you're eating broadly low-fat, healthy, plant-based diet, I would say don't worry about eating eggs. Um, you're not going to have a massively high cholesterol intake. With yoghurt and other cheese, dairy products, we also need to think about what can be fermenting. So the lactose in IBS can be particularly problematic for quite a lot of people. Lactose is part of the FODMAP diet, so it's restricted in terms of portion. Not a dairy-free diet, it just means that you need to eat a bit less of it. Now, when you're relying on cheese and yoghurt for your protein levels... If you're following the low FODMAP diet, you won't be able to eat enough of these to get your protein requirements met. What I mean by that is if you're eating yogurt, for example, you can have somewhere around 20, possibly 30 grams, depending on the type of yogurt, before it hits that fermentation level where it can cause bloating and gas and trigger your symptoms. So you can have a small portion of yogurt, but it's not going to be enough to get your protein. And this is what the challenge is all the time with the vegetarian IBS diets. Now that is not to say that you shouldn't eat any dairy because if you are vegetarian and you're happy to eat dairy then it's completely fine partly because it's going to be a good source of calcium but also we need to think about how you can add protein to every meal and how you can try to bulk it up bit by bit. So having a small amount of cheese and normally around 40 grams of cheese is fine before you start hitting that rate where you might get lactose intolerance problems and it's still going to give you some protein, so it's still worth including. Plus, if you like cheese, that's a bonus. <laughs> so if you're eating animal products, you can include eggs, you can include small amounts of yogurt, you can include small amounts of cheese. But all of this, I'm saying with the context that you understand what your IBS triggers are. So even if you find eating a large amount of lactose-heavy food can set off your symptoms, you might be okay with a small amount. I'm going to do a future episode on dairy and gluten because I find it is full of misconceptions for IBS. But we're just today focusing on protein and vegetarian sources of protein. So what I want to make clear is that you often can include small amounts of these kinds of foods that in large amounts may trigger your symptoms but small amounts would be generally okay. Let's move on to some vegan sources. Firstly I'm going to talk about beans. So lots of different types of beans and again portion size is really key here because often when we're talking about 
beans and pulses we really think about excessive gas bloating that kind of thing in terms of ibs because even in people who don't have ibs it can make people a little bit gassy that is down to the rapid fermentation of the starches by your gut bacteria in your large intestine the main fodmaps that are included with beans would be galacto oligosaccharides that's gos and fructan now these are found in varying degrees in most beans and pulses the problem is, again, similar to the cheese, is that a low FODMAP portion is quite a small percentage of what you would need to eat in order to get the right amount of protein. So let me give you a few examples. With black beans, they are quite high in GOS and fructan, so that's two FODMAPs that could be causing problems. A low FODMAP portion is around 40 grams of the beans. And if you were to eat 100 grams, which is a quarter of a can, then you're getting around 7.5 grams of protein. Now, per meal, that is not particularly much. Seven grams of protein in one meal. And it's only 100 grams, which is a quarter of a can. So if you're only eating a little bit of a tin, that's probably not going to fill you up enough. And it's definitely not going to be enough protein for one particular meal if you eat that consistently. And that's your main source of protein. So the Protein per FODMAP portion, because it's only 40 grams, not 100 grams, is actually down to 3 grams. Now, I've laid all of this out in my download, and there's a link to it in the show notes, so you can download a list of my vegetarian low FODMAP foods, and it goes through a lot of um, fake meats, which is I'm going to come on to in a minute, but also beans and pulses, and I've laid out what the FODMAPs are, what the low FODMAP portion is, how much protein you get per 100 grams, and then how much you get per FODMAP portion. So that was an example for black beans. Another one I wanted to mention is cannellini beans. So these have got similar FODMAPs, but a low FODMAP portion is actually 76 grams. So you can have almost double what you can with black beans without getting the intolerance issues like bloating and gas. So you could be eating around five and a half grams of protein, roughly, per FODMAP portion, whereas other things like red lentils, you can't hardly get any protein out of them because the FODMAP portion is relatively small. I hope this is clear the way I'm explaining it. It really works better when I've got a visual in front of me. So download the guide and see if you can work it out. And if you've got any questions, then please email me. You can contact me via my website and I will happily explain it because I want you to be clear again, that you can have small portions of these and we should be looking to include as many different protein sources as you can throughout the day. Now, the thing with FODMAPs is generally that we don't want to have too many of the same FODMAP in the same meal. And that is because if you have two or three low to moderate portions of a certain food, then it can certainly turn into a high FODMAP meal pretty quickly. And then that could lead to the triggering of your symptoms. I really keep coming back to this as well because it's important. If you find that a certain FODMAP is going to be a trigger for you, then you can make sure you eat all the others. And the purpose of doing the FODMAP diet properly is that you go through a clear reintroduction process and you don't avoid all FODMAPs forever because that is going to leave you with quite a restrictive diet. Alongside beans, one of my favourite vegetarian and vegan low FODMAP meal or protein portions is tofu and tempeh. Tofu is 
made from soya beans and there are two types you can get a firm drained tofu sometimes you'll find it ready cut up marinated in a packet sometimes it's just in a calcium solution now this is lower FODMAP and you can have up to about 170 grams per meal and um, that's going to give you around 13 grams of protein per 100 grams so you could easily get 20 grams of protein in a meal just from eating a lot of tofu the silken tofu which is really mushy and squishy is much higher in FODMAPs and much more likely to cause you issues. Tempeh is fermented tofu. It's got a certain taste and not everyone is keen on it. So I, you know, say give it a go and try it. And if you like it, then go for it. It's really good non-fermentable foods that can add protein to your diet and you can get vegetarian and vegan versions products of that. I want to talk about nuts and seeds as well. So seeds are generally all low FODMAP, generally really easily tolerated for people and a great way to start bulking up your protein. Add them to your porridge, grind them up. I add them to mine every day to add some fiber and protein and also things like just snacking on seeds, add them to your salads, roast them so they're a little bit more crispy, add them to a tray of roasted vegetables, make things protein rich at every opportunity if you're on a vegan diet because they're generally well tolerated seeds with nuts it's a question of looking up which nuts are potentially higher fermentable than others the ones to look out for is cashews pistachios and high amounts of almonds as well but in small amounts almonds hazelnuts walnuts macadamia nuts these are more easily tolerated for people who are trying to remove gas producing foods if you're looking in the shops for things to eat to boost your protein levels, then things like veggie sausages and fake meats can be a really good source of concentrated protein. Some people do worry that they are too processed and that they're not natural. I would say you need to work out what feels comfortable for you, but I do recommend these to my clients who are following a vegetarian diet because it's very difficult to get the right levels of protein just from beans, tofu, nuts and seeds anyway, let alone if you are trying to reduce down fermentable starches in order to try and minimise IBS symptoms. So I do recommend including some fake meat products if you are open to them. Now, some of the protein is made from pea protein, which is a high FODMAP food, or they could be including onions and garlic powder. So not all of them would be suitable for you. But again, it really depends on what you react to and whether they are a trigger for you. When you're looking at the packets, just check that they have actually got high protein in them. Sometimes vegetarian sausages are made from reconstituted vegetables and this just will not have enough protein to be your main source of protein for that meal. It doesn't mean you shouldn't eat them, like by all means enjoy them, but just if that's your main source day in, day out, it's not going to hit your protein targets. So make sure that it is made from something that is actually giving you protein. Often it is from soya protein, which is corn is the brand, or sometimes they're pea or wheat, uh, like a gluten protein. Again, sometimes they're high FODMAP and if maps are a trigger for you, just be careful. Look whether the main protein is made from beans or pulses. And if it's just there in a small amount, it's probably going to be okay. But if it's in a large amount, it could be a trigger. And if you're in the UK, download my guide, which will give you a lowdown of some certain products, whether they're high or low FODMAP and how much protein they include. And there's also an overview of beans and pulses there. Even if you're not in the UK, you might want to download it. 
that's where I'm going to leave it for today. Thank you for listening to this episode. I will be back next week with another episode. And remember, you can join me on Instagram every Thursday for a Q&A session about this topic. Each week, you can join me live to ask your questions and find out a little bit more detail. So do tune in for that and you can always watch them on replay if you need to. If you're interested in working with me and finding out a bit more about how to tailor your diet and how to get a bit more specific about your particular triggers, get in touch. I'm also going to be running a group course and I think I'm going to do a separate podcast episode about that. But just to explain, it's a group online program. It will be cheaper than working with me one-to-one, which may appeal to some of you, but it also will include some really fantastic group coaching aspects. So some things where we can have more discussion, a bit more interaction and feed off each other, which I know some people will really appreciate as well. You can book that via the link in the show notes and it's open for booking now, but starts in September and it will be a rolling enrolment.